but God's love for us. That he loved us first. How amazing is being brought into his fold because of his love for us. Father, we pray that your love would descend on this place, that your love through the presence and the power of your spirit would fill this space and would begin to permeate into us. That the spirit that you have placed within us, your people, would resonate with the love that you have from your throne this morning. When Sylvia and I first uh, were planning to bring kids into our fold, something surprising happened inside of me. I'd always assumed and I'd always wanted kids. I always assumed that I would be a dad. That was never a question, even though I didn't get married until I was in my 30s. All the way along, I assumed somehow I was going to be a dad. I'm not sure how that was going to work, but that assumption was there. And when the time finally came that Sylvia and I decided it was time to bring kids into our fold, I was caught off guard by an incredible sense of doubt. Not a, not a, a doubt in could I love a child, but how would I love my child? Would my love be good enough? Would my love be big enough? Would it be everything that that child would need to be able to grow up and be healthy and fruitful in life? Well, our kids are 13 and 15 now. They're well established as part of our fold. And you know what I've learned in those years? That the insecurity about my love as a father bringing a child into my fold wasn't so much about my love. It was actually rooted in my insecurity about God's love. The reason I wasn't sure about the state of my love as a father for my child was because I wasn't sure about the state of God's love for his child, me. So let me ask you this morning, do you know that God loves you? Are you completely secure that God loves you? Do you have confidence beyond any measure that God loves you? Now, I'm not asking you if you think that God loves people as in the whole world. That's easy. That's theory. I'm asking, do you know that God loves Gary? Do you know God loves Barb? Do you know God loves Tammy? Do you know that God loves Peter? Are you convinced of that this morning?
that if I were to, to, to be able to, to ask in the throne room of God this morning, or maybe an angel would go up to God in the throne room right now and say, hey God, do you know Al? That God would say, oh, Al Thiessen, I know him. I love him. I love him. Are you secure in God's love for you? Because if not, it's going to negatively affect every single relationship that you have. You are going to spend your time trying to earn God's love for you and you are going to project that void, that emptiness out into every single relationship. The last thing I want my kids to believe is that somehow they need to earn my love because I'm trying to earn God's love. And yet I know in my insecurity, in my brokenness, that I can project that far too often to them. And it's rooted in my belief that I somehow need to earn God's love, that I somehow need to make it myself good enough to be lovable by God. Friends, that is one of the most insidious lies of the devil. Turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Galatians chapter 4. For those of you who are visiting, we're in a series on Galatians. Last week we were in Galatians 3. The Apostle Paul was talking about the relationship that people had with God before Jesus arrived on the scene. The Old Testament law was the platform, was the way that humanity related to God. And then he says the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ reset the scene. That redefined our relationship with God. So actually I'm going to start in Galatians 3 verse 24. You'll have to forgive my sniffles. I'm on week two of a cold. And it is a little bit chilly in here. So I'm not sure if it's the chilliness or if it's my cold. But there's... It's there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Paul says, The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So he's saying we have a new relationship with God through Jesus. But the Galatians are getting cold feet in their new relationship. They're insecure about God's love, his capacity to love them. And in their doubt, they want to go back to the old relationship. They want to go back to earning God's favor, God's love. They want to prove themselves to God. But in Galatians 3, Paul says, no. We don't have the law anymore. It's not our guardian anymore. That doesn't work anymore. And then he continues in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. 
They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy for us, buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to earn favor? Thank you. Why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you, Paul says, perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Back in the first century, we have the image in the first uh, four, three verses of a child. And in the first century, children and slaves or servants, servants and slaves were we're talking about the same thing when we talk about servants and slaves in the first century. And children, their value was basically on par with that of a slave. And so Paul is saying, let's suppose that a father passes away. Okay? Before his child, before his, let's assume it's a son, is old enough to receive the inheritance. The head male slave of the household is the guardian of that child. And that child stays under the authority of that guardian, that slave. Pastor Brad talked a little bit about that last week, about that role of that slave, that guardian, preparing the child, getting him ready. So the father is dead. This child is underneath the slave. He needs to take orders. So in that sense, the child and the slave are the same. They're subservient to the dad, but the child is even more subservient because the child has to take orders from the slave until he is old enough and has grown up enough to become worthy of the inheritance. When that happens, when the child is finally of age, then a separation happens between the child and the servant or the slave. There's a distinction. The child receives an inheritance and becomes rich. The slave is still poor. The child grows up and becomes free. The slave is still a slave. And Paul's saying to the Galatians, you used to be like that child, enslaved. But then Jesus came, and Jesus changed that. You were given grace of God. Christ bought you. 
He bought your freedom. He bought you out from underneath the law. Verse 4, but now you are free because Jesus Christ has bought your freedom. Verse 5, God has adopted you as his very own children. So you no longer call God master. You call him Abba, Father, Dad. Verse 7, as a child, then you are also an heir of God the Father. So the new truth is that we are children of God who loves us. A God who loves us so much that he adopts us as his own, which entitles us to receive an inheritance. Do you believe that this morning? Are you convinced and secure in who you are as a child, as an heir of a God who loves you? Can you sit there this morning and say with me, God loves me? Let's say it again. Now say it, God loves me with your name. God loves me, Wally. Now pause and acknowledge if you hear any of these words in your spirit. Accept. Not really. Well, sort of. Where do these words come from? Maybe. For some of us, it's easier to actually believe and to live like we're slaves of God than loved children. We believe that there's something wrong in me. We believe that there's something wrong about who I am or what I'm doing and that somehow I need to make that right. And I make it right by earning my way in God's favor. Say it again. God loves me. It's amazing, and I speak for me personally, how that truth needs to be repeated and reinforced over and over and over to permeate through my insecurity, my brokenness, my wounds, my abuse, my wrestling, my striving. If you're not willing to accept that truth, then you're going to leave here today and you're going to resume the pursuit of something else. You're going to look for security in something else. Maybe it's success, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your education, maybe it's money, maybe it's sex, maybe it's food. You will pursue something else. If you don't believe that God loves you, then, and that you're an heir of everything that God has, then you will pursue being an heir of what the world has to offer us. So think about what's consuming your thoughts. 
What's out there when we say, say goodbye today that's waiting for you that says, think about me. Remember me. This is what you really need to be focused on. That's an indicator that God's not your shepherd. That's an indicator that you're not in an intimate relationship with God if those thoughts, if whatever it is out there is consuming your thoughts. Why? Because what does Psalm 23 tell us? When the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have any other needs. When the Lord is my shepherd, I sit down at this table that he prepares for me and there's enemies all around me and there's stuff going on and I don't notice it because I'm consumed by the goodness set before me. When the Lord is my shepherd, I'm secure in this intimate relationship that I have with him. Galatians 4 verse 6 says, God sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Do you know those times where you sit at the table with just God and you don't notice anything else around you? Do you know those times when your intimacy with God is overwhelming? Do you have those times? Some of you might be saying, oh yeah, I had that time. Man, when I first met Jesus and he became my savior, man, I, oh, that was awesome. That it just was overwhelming. But that was a long time ago. So what's consuming your attention now and keeping you from that? What's out there waiting for you? The moment you walk out the door saying, hey, remember me? This is what you got to pay attention to. This is what you got to worry about. When you are intentional toward God, you're cultivating your security in his love for you. Intimacy with God leads to security. Intimacy with God breeds your security. But Satan wants us to be in the whirlwind. He wants us to be distracted and focused on all the swirl that's happening around us. He wants us in a, in a spiral of trying to pursue whatever it is. And as soon as we enter into that spiral, it doesn't feed that void within us that we're trying to feed. It actually pulls us further and further away and makes the void deeper and deeper. Galatians 4, verse 8. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that don't even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves again to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons. 
I fear for you. Paul's saying you've gone back to acting the same way you were acting before you met Jesus. You're sons and daughters of God. He calls you his children, and yet now you want to go back to being slaves. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. Before you knew God, now that you know God. Actually, two different words there for, for knowing. In English, we don't really have the, the two differentiations of the word. Other languages do. I was talking with Janice, who's uh, serving in Kids at the Ridge. Uh, she's a Spanish teacher, so I was, I was double-checking. My kids take Spanish. I always wished I'd learned Spanish, so I know a very little bit of Spanish. Spanish has two words for knowing. Saber. You know something. So if you were going to say, I know Wally has short hair, you would use saber. I'm not even going to try to say the sentence. <laughs> Those of you who will learn it if you're applying to go to Guatemala, Sue will train you to say, Pastor Wally has short hair. You'll know it. But the word is saber. If you're going to talk about knowing someone, you're going to talk about knowing a person as in a relationship, you're going to use the word in Spanish, conocer. I know that person. We don't really have that in English, other than, than like, we emphasize it. Jared, you think you know me? You don't know me. Okay, there, that's conocer. You don't know me. That's as close as we get in English. Paul's saying that in the beginning, you didn't even know about God. You didn't even have the facts about God. But now, now you know. You know God. You have this intimate relationship that goes way beyond the facts. But then it gets even better. We have this little bracket in verse 9. Or should I say, or should I say, God knows you? This is the no. God, you don't know me. Oh, I know. I know you. Can we pause and just let that sink in? You are known. There's a difference between knowing and being known. We use that word a lot as Christians. I know God, I know God, I want you to know God. But think of that, I am known. God Almighty, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Creator of the universe, I am known. you feel the power of that? If you only remember one word today, remember that word known. Take that word with you. It belongs to you. You. You, Dave, are known by God. Sandy, you are known by God. God knows me. He loves me. It's powerful. 
And let's remember, friends, the Galatians here weren't off doing, like, bad things. They were doing a lot of good things. They were trying to follow the commands of the Old Testament. But Paul says it's not going to work, verse 9. Why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of the world? You're trying to earn favor with God by following these seasons and these times, these traditions. Yes, you have new facts about God, but if you want to use that knowledge to earn favor with God, then there's something wrong. If you want to use the fact that you know about God to earn his love, then you're actually submitting yourselves, Paul says, to the spiritual principles of this world. And in Ephesians 6 and in other places in Scripture, we know that the spiritual principles of this world are actually the spiritual principles of the evil one, of Satan. That he has dominion in this space. Friends, this is hard. This is, this is a harsh teaching. You have to picture what was happening at the time. You've got Jewish teachers teaching these Galatians that they still need to uphold the Old Testament commandments, the traditions, and the Galatians are pouring themselves in that to earn their favor. And Paul's saying, actually, that doesn't work. Actually, you're submitting yourselves to the spiritual principles of this world. So wait a minute, Paul. You're saying that by us trying to follow the commands of God, we're actually commands of God, we're actually following demons. And Paul says, "Yeah. By the way that you are doing it, absolutely. By the way that you're doing it." You're submitting yourself to the principalities and the powers of this world, which are in Satan's domain. You see, any form of self-righteousness is wrong. Any form of self-righteousness is evil. Whether you're trying to earn the favor of God by following the principles and the laws of the Book of Mormon, or whether you are trying to earn the favor of God by following the commands of God in the Bible, it's the same thing. You're trying to earn on your own merit something that God says, I give to you freely through my son, Jesus Christ. Any system, any system where you earn favor try to earn the favor of God by your own merit is of the devil. Doesn't matter how you sugar it. Even if you're using the commands of scripture to earn his favor. That's how cunning, that's how deceptive Satan is. If he cannot get you to obey God's commands, or sorry, disobey God's commands, if he can't get you to disobey and be disobedient, then he's going to try to convince you to obey them in a way that's legalistic. Obey them in a way that nobody else can. Obey them in a way that, yeah, I did this. Obey them in a way that props me up a bit. Huh. 
Tyler screwed up. I didn't screw up in that. Tyler. Told me Tyler was as good as me. Satan is going to do everything he can to convince me that I need to somehow earn, that I can somehow earn God's favor and love. If you are coming to church, if you're part of Jericho, if you're serving on one of our teams, or you're a volunteer, and you're doing it to earn God's favor, please stop. Please quit. It's going to destroy you. The very thing that you think is going to help you is going to kill you. How do I know that? Because John 10.10, Jesus says, what's the purpose of the thief? Of evil one. To steal. To destroy. To kill. That's his end goal. And any time you enter into acts of self-righteousness, you're under his plan. We need to stop buying into the temptation that says if you do good things, God will somehow put you into that category of good enough. That if you do enough good things, he will somehow check the box that says, yes, Rose gets to get into heaven. Finally, she's done it. Every religion is predicated on that kind of a theory, that system, that you need to earn your way to find favor of a God. You need to earn your way and be good enough to attain heaven or to attain a God-like status. And if that's true, then who am I believing in? If I'm doing everything in my power to earn heaven, to gain a godlike status, who am I believing in? I'm believing in me. I'm believing that I'm going to be good enough. I'm believing that I'm going to be strong enough, that I'm going to be smart enough, that somehow I'm going to be able to accomplish it. Friends, show me one place in the scriptures that says self-righteousness done well enough will earn you salvation. It's not there. And the temptation starts so subtly. But Paul says, it's going to enslave you to the principles, to the spiritual practices of this world. And Satan has domain over that, and his ultimate goal is to destroy you. That's why Paul is questioning if at the end of verse uh, uh, 11 there, I think it is, at saying, have I, have I just, do I give up on you guys? Is it too late? I fear for you. Because if you keep going down that path, it's going to kill you. Satan will destroy you. Everything in the scriptures teaches that it's about believing in God, not myself. That it's about God's love for me, not how good I am to him. God loves you, friends. 
You cannot do a single thing to make him love you more. Not one good act that you have done in your life. Go ahead and think about them. Think about all the good that you have accomplished. Not one of those things has made God love you more. Why? Because scripture said, God loves you first. It's not what you do. It's not that we love God, John says. It's because God loves us. He loves us so much that he's willing to provide his righteousness for us, to provide a way for us to be in relationship with him, for a holy God to be in relationship with his sinful creation. And so he sends Jesus to buy us so that he can adopt us and call us his children, daughters, son, and say we are his heirs. Really, God? You would do that for me? Do you know how screwed up I am? You'd do that for me? And God says, yeah, Wally, I'd do that for you. Really? What do I need to do? See where our minds go? Really? You'd do that for me? Okay, what do you want me to do? Believe. Just believe. Believe that I loved you so much before you were even created that I would give my son, Jesus, to die for you and he paid the price so that you, Wally, could live with me for eternity. Are you secure? in God's love for you. Let's be honest. There's a lot of baggage and brokenness in this room. Not one of us excluded. Not one of us. And it makes it so hard to sit here with utter confidence to stand here in front of you with complete security that God loves me. But Galatians 4 says, I am known by God. He chose to adopt me and make me his heir all because he loves me. And when you believe that God would give up his son Jesus for you because he loves you, that you believe that Jesus would go to the cross and that he would rise again so that, not so that he could go up to the throne room and say, God, Father, don't ever send me back down there again. Those people are so screwed up. They are so bad. I don't want He rises from the grave and says, God, the Father, I want to bring them all with me. Every last one of them. We get to know that. And we get to be known because of that.
And that, friends, has the power to change how you relate to people. That has the power to change how you work, how you volunteer, how you give, how you parent, how you study, how you play. Are you getting the picture? It has the ability and the power to change every relationship. God loves you. God loves me. Wally Nickel. Don't even need an angel up in heaven asking him. God loves me. How amazing is that? Say it with me. God loves me. Now say it again. God loves, don't say Wally. Say your name. God loves Wally. Do you believe that? I invite the Jared and, and Ruth Allen and the worship team to come up. I'm just going to ask them to start playing quietly. Because I want us to just take a moment and, and let that sink in. I want us to take a moment and let it permeate. I want your confidence in that to grow. So as they play, just take time in your spirit to say, thank you, God. I know that you know me. I am known and loved by you. Thank you. Thank you. And if that creates a struggle in your spirit as it has for me at times, many times, then I invite you to join one of the people in the back. The, our prayer team will be back there, Gary and Betty and... Allie, myself, come and pray with us. You do so in complete confidence without judgment. I don't want any one of us to leave here this morning knowing, without knowing, that God loves you. God loves you. As the team plays, let's give thanks.